Good morning to one and all here uh, this day. It's so good to have you all come. And uh, I pray if you're a visitor with us today that you feel really, really welcome and uh, to join our church family. And uh, many people join us now on podcast. We're well over 5,000 downloads now, which is just so good, isn't it? People, we had 34 downloads from Singapore this week. So I don't know anybody in Singapore, do you? So, but it was so good. And, uh, but, uh, but to hear the word of God, that we might know the heart of the God of the word. That's what the word is all about, isn't it? To, to know uh, the heart of God. And we can rejoice as David did in Psalm 122 verse 1. And he says, I, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So when you wake up this morning, did you say, I'm glad when they said to me, let us get to church. I mean, that's, what, that's, it. that's the heart that God loves. But to so say, you're glad this morning. Oh, let's do that again. Are you glad this morning to be in the house of God? Amen. So, but this morning, just to, as a, as a, uh, a brief introduction, uh, the year of our Lord, 33 AD, I just want you to cast your mind all the way back to that ancient time, Anno Domini, which is written still on many of our buildings here today in Charters Towers, in the year of our Lord. That's what it stands for, AD. Outside a house in downtown Jerusalem, something happened that day that affected all of our history to this very day. It was 9am in the morning, and uh, as a result of 120 people waiting for 10 days in an upper room to be endured or clothed with power from on high. And it fulfilled Jesus' closing words in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and he says, this is written in red, he said, Behold... I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, that's an old school word for wait, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured or clothed with power from on high. I'd love if you would go to Acts chapter 2, if you wouldn't mind. And that's where all this took place. And it changed the course of history. Acts and chapter 2. And verse 1, and it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, so this is pente, meaning 50, so it's 50 days after the crucifixion, 50 days after Passover, and Jesus was the Passover lamb. They were all with one accord in one place. That is in that upper room that I was talking about. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they departed, uh, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amazing time in the course of history. It goes on to say thousands of people were in Jerusalem uh, for that Pentecost celebration, and, uh, and so... Many thousands of people gathered to hear what this commotion was all about. And uh, Peter stood up on that balcony or down there amongst the people, thousands of people. And he began to say, this is the fulfillment of what was prophesied in Joel 2.28. He says, uh, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. And I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
It says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Many people challenge me about whether women should preach. But here it is that they will prophesy. Can you believe that? That's what many people think. But here it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. I'll ask a very basic question. Who has dreams and who has visions? And that'll determine whether you're old or young. <laughs> what a good word. It shall come to pass. But what happened at that time when the Holy Ghost was poured out on all flesh? What happened at that time brought the dispensation of the domination of the law, which had been reigning for 2,000 years since the time of Moses, came to an end at 9 o'clock in the morning on that Pentecost day. What was ushered in that morning when the sound of heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, also ushered in what we now know as the 2,000-year period called the last days. Here it says, in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Many people, when talking about the last days, they said, that preacher's been talking about the last days for decades. And there's no wonder why. Because this whole dispensation from the day of Pentecost till now is a dispensation or a time period of 2,000 years. That's called the last days. The previous 2,000 years were called broadly by a lot of people as the days of the law or the days of the Torah. The previous 2,000 years to that, theologians often call it the days of chaos because it talks about in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and all those sorts of things. And so this last days period is also called the end of days. Other people call it the church age or the age of grace. The days of the law were past and it is now for the last 2,000 years an age of grace. Praise God we live in a day of grace. And other people call it the dispensation of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was poured out upon an entire dispensation of time right till now of 2,000 years. And so... After this 2,000 years is complete, which could happen at just about any moment in time, there is the last 1,000 years, what the Jewish Torah or the, those the Jewish people called the Sabbath, we would call the millennial reign. And so in the word of God, a day is as a 1,000 years. Amen? And so given to what was called Adam's lease is a full week. The first 2,000 years of chaos, the second 2,000 years of the law, the third 2,000 years of the dispensation or the last days. And then when this time period is finished, there will be 1,000 years of the millennial reign completing Adam's lease on the earth. I'd like if we could, could go to uh, Mark 13 and verses 3 and 4. Mark 13, I've got to find it myself now. And it says, now as he sat... Now, this is Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. I've sat on that mountain overlooking the old town of Jerusalem. And with him were Peter, James and John, which were the inner circle of his disciples, and Andrew, which was almost like a go-between between, between the, the, uh, 
the inner circle of disciples and the rest of the disciples was Andrew. And we've talked about Andrew before. And they asked him privately, this is Jesus, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. And Jesus answered them began, beginning and he said, take heed that no one deceives you. And so he was talking about the destruction of the temple where not one stone will be thrown down upon another. And, uh, and so he was talking about the end of days. And, uh, and in the gospel accounts, also in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, if you're taking notes, Matthew 13, Matthew 24 and Luke 21 give three separate accounts of the end of days. And every one of those, take heed that no one deceive you, is the immediate verse in all the three gospel accounts. When Jesus begins to describe the signs of the times and the end of the age. And so to go to Matthew 24, which was my favourite when going through these scriptures on this period of time on the earth, we can see some of the physical attributes of the end of the age. In Matthew 24, verse 5, we saw there's going to be many false Christs who put up their hand and say, I am the Christ. Amen? Uh, whoever saw the old school movie Spartacus? Did anybody see that? And at the end of the movie, everybody, because they wanted to assassinate a Spartacus. And everybody stood up and said, I'm Spartacus. And someone else stood up and says, I'm Spartacus. And someone else stood up, I'm Spartacus. Well, it seems and it appears that the further we get to the end of days, there's going to be more and more people who put up their hand and say, I am the Christ. I am, I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the prophet that you're waiting for. And one day, one amongst us will stand up and he'll proclaim himself as the leader of the whole of the earth. And the, and the Bible gives him a title called the Antichrist. But the Bible says this whole dispensation of time, the nearer that we get to the day approaching, there will be more and more deception. Amen? And so we can see that when we turn on the news, terms like fake news and all these sort of terms are relatively new. The concept is not new, but all these sort of things, and it's almost like you don't know what to believe anymore. That's true, isn't it? And so it says the sign of the end of the days is the level of deception on the earth will mark this period. And so I say this not to scare you, but to prepare you. As I believe the, uh, the children of God need to prepared, be prepared for whatever is coming our way. You will know more about what is going on because you have a level of discernment that comes from above. It's not intellect, but it's wisdom that comes from above. Amen? Wisdom comes from above. A little child can have more wisdom than a college professor because wisdom comes from above. And so there will be 24 verse 5, it says there will be wars and rumours of war. And so throughout the earth there has always been wars, but you would say probably today on an unprecedented scale to steal a word from the media. Nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Another verse says in another gospel, tribe against tribe. And I think tribe against tribe is very pertinent because it means that within nation borders, there will be uh, tribe against tribe. There will be skirmishes and wars within boundaries of nations. And this we are seeing and we'll see actually more of it. Famines, pestilences and earthquakes will abound more and more as the day approaching. People will say, always say, oh, there's always been these things. And that is true. 
but it says that they will be on an increasing scale. What about this one? I thought it was interesting. In Matthew 24, verse 7, it says, Many will be offended. It's now a national pastime in most countries of the earth to walk around being offended. It's true, isn't it? But it says many will be offended. And you only got to turn on the news today and see that's true. Many will betray one another and hate one another. And I recall even Billy Brimmer, a wonderful minister in, in, uh, in, a, in America, and she says that people are vicious out there with their online blogging and things like that. It's just not a, a critical thing, but it's, there's a certain viciousness that is out there which we'd all be aware of. It's, nothing, uh, it's uh, something that's come out. Uh, road rage and things like this is something unheard of. You know, uh, uh, decades ago it was unheard of, but now it's just an everyday occurrence to get to work and you think, oh, there's a Christian, he's putting his finger to God while you're driving along the road. <laughs> but it's like that, isn't it? There's a certain viciousness about what is going on. But to see what is going on in people's lives, the attitudes, uh, the thought life. So these are, I would call these the physical attributes of what is going on in the earth at this time. So you go to Luke 21, uh, Mark 13, Matthew 24, if you're taking notes, and you'll see that most of these scriptures align with one another and they each fulfill the picture and together they give you a graphic picture of the age in which we live. It's not in the future anymore. We are living in a present tense end of days. And so what are the signs apart from those physical attributes? And so another thing here is signposts indicate that something is coming up. That's true, isn't it? When you see, when you travel back to Townsville, you'll see there's a signpost and it says 120 kilometres uh, to Townsville. Then it's 90 kilometres, 80 kilometres, 70 kilometres. But as we near Townsville, we actually pass a threshold where we're actually entering into the territory of Townsville. That's true, you get my drift. So what I'm saying here at the end of end of days, we've seen the signpost for many decades, but we are now encroaching a pass when we're actually entering into the territory to the end of end of days. It is no longer a future, but it is a present tense. And there is nothing that needs to be fulfilled in Scripture for the Lord to return before I finish this message. And many of you will say, well, hallelujah for that. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? And so signposts. And so we've had many, many signs. I'd like for us now to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, to the, one of the most extraordinary chapters in the whole Bible, to put a picture to the mindset of the people in this end time period. I'm going to go over the first verse and labor on it just a little, but stick with me for a, for a little bit because it'll give you a fantastic picture of the day in which we live right now. And so it says, uh, but this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. I'm going to be go uh, referencing a King James Bible right now. And uh, it's actually one that Pastor Tom gave to me a number of years ago. It's a study Bible and it's got all the numbers for the Greek meanings. And it says, this know also. It's a bit more... Uh, present tense, isn't it? It's got an urgency about the way they said it. It says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. This know also 
That comes across. That's just not an idle suggestion, but that is a command. Do you ever read it? Do you read the Ten Commandments and you go, well, that's a command. But the New Testament is filled with commands if we had eyes to see. It says Paul is using an absolute uh, 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 an urgency when he says, this know also. Why? Because this is definitely coming to pass. This reflects you and I. It is in your best interest to understand what the Word of God is saying here. Paul's reasoning in any of his letters is to prepare us. Paul is a preparer of the church. He's a builder of the church and a preparer of the church. That word to know is, the, is that Greek word gnosko. To know emphatically, beyond a shadow of a doubt. To know this and to know it emphatically. This know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. It's a command to know, and it's a command to know now, and it's a command to know continually where we are. To discern the signs of the times was a credit to the sons of Ishakar in the Old Testament. The, the NIV says, mark this. It used to be a common saying, mark my words. It's not, it's not heard so much these days. But I recall my grandfather and the other people saying around me, mark my word. In other words, don't take what I say lightly. Paul is saying this. Mark my word here. It's imperative that you know it. Why? For your good. For your good. That's it, all it is. To personally understand, not just for the church to understand, not just for me, not just for a few people to understand, but for you personally to understand. There is not one person here that Paul is not talk, talking to to know, know this. Know this. Fully perceive, discern, to recognise it's vital and of utmost importance that you know and to know full well. This message here is a message that we need to know full well. I need to know full well. It says that in the last days, and so we were talking about before, in the last days, said Joel 2.28 and reiterated by Peter in Acts 2.17, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit. But this is not exactly right here, that interpretation here, because it is referring to the end of end of days. So this 2,000-year period has a little, 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 tiny, tiny extra line on the end, and that is the end of end of days, which is what Paul is referring to here in the Greek. We don't understand the Greek. You've got to go and dig it all out and everything. So many gems to be found when you do the digging, but it's there. This is referring to the end of days, the farthest away of the days from the beginning of the day of Pentecost to the end of end of days they're talking about. In nautical terms, it would be, this is the last port of call. After that port, there is no other port. It brings the finality to this dispensation of time. These following verses will bring in the finality. And when I begin to read them, you go, hang on. You're describing what I see before us today. The Greek word in, used in other literature for, the, uh, for this last days here actually refers to the end of the earth. That's what it does. But it says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. And so there is three major points in this one verse alone. That perilous, that Greek word there is kalopos. And it only occurs twice in the whole of the New Testament, this Greek word. Only twice. Most concordances only register it once, but there are actually two references. 
and it describes a strange time on the earth and it describes, the word kalapos describes the season that will be difficult. This is this word here, kalapos. This is what it means. It means it's difficult, it's hard to bear. It's treacherous. And we seem to be completely surrounded, encumbered, encumbered and trapped in on every side. What is going on around us is basically inescapable. You think things are crazy, but I'll go somewhere else where I think it's quieter. I think I'll go to Charles' house. But I still see these same things happening. I turn on the TV and it's crazy days. And I turn on it five minutes later to only find out that I've just got that little bit crazier. We are living in amazing days. Because there is a big event coming. It's called the Millennial Reign. And it'll be a thousand years, but ushering in is this time which we use this word kalapos. And it's only described in another verse, one other verse in the whole New Testament, and that's Matthew 8.28. I'll go to Matthew 8.28 and read it for you in full. Matthew 8 and 28. And we're talking about Jesus' ministry here. And when he had come to the other side in the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men completely coming out of the tombs. And the word here is exceedingly fierce. And that word there, fierce, is that one word again, kalapos, appearing only twice in the whole of the New Testament. And no one could pass that way. We are coming upon a season which is extremely and exceedingly fierce. You think that I'm here to scare you? No, I'm not. I'm here to build, to edify, and to prepare the body of Christ. We are going to be a prepared body of believers. Amen? Things are not going to take us by surprise because Paul has laid it out in his accounts, in his letters there, to, to, to be observant and to know, emphatically know, what to expect and how to deal with it. The end of days will be, I see here, uh, marked with an intensification of demonic activity as the devil himself can see his days are numbered. That's true. There's a compression going on. And, uh, and I think the devil's a bit like a cornered animal, a wild animal at that. And a cornered wild animal is always difficult to deal with. And this is the day in which we live. The devil is a cornered animal. He's roaming the, ro with the world right now, but the Lord, by the breath of his mouth, when it's time, he'll round him up just like tumbleweed. <laughs> and the end of the time will come to an end. The devil is on a short lease. You have to know that. You have to know that. And so we are living in exceedingly fierce times. So the mindset of the age, speaking of the world, we saw the physical attributes. Wars and rumours of war, nation against nation, tribe against tribe, nation against nation, pestilence, disease and earthquakes, all signs. They're called birthing pains. And, uh, but now look at the mindset of the world and uh, I'll come to that now exactly. So let's go to, back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we won't be moving from it now. He says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. He says, men will be lovers of themselves. Oh, wow, this is the day in which we live. This is the day. And that Greek word there is philatos, and, and, uh, the, it's, which is two Greek words. Philio means it's a word to love, but it's always expressed in a way to love uh, as in a, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, husband and wife relationship. But here it is related to the only, uh, the only Greek word that relates to this is this verse here. And it 
to love yourself. To love yourself. It means to kiss yourself. Have you ever been to the gym lately? We have got wall-to-wall mirrors. And it's difficult to have a conversation with anybody at the gym anymore. Why? Because they're all in love with themselves. And they're, they're all kissing themselves. They look past the mirror like this and they go, you look gorgeous today. <laughs> Guys spend more money, more, more time and money on their hair than girls ever did, amen? With all these manicuring things and everything like that, doing the hair on their thing. What happened to the guy with hair all over his nose and the hair over his neck and all that stuff? No way. He's all manicured up these days. <laughs> hey, you got to good, look good in a mankini, amen? <laughs> oh, that's a repulsive thought, isn't it? But they are actually having a romantic relationship with themselves. That is the extent of the love that people have for themselves. How can there be time or room in their life to love personally anybody else? when so much they are self-consumed with a self-love that the Bible is speaking of here. And that's how it starts. And then I'm going to read out the most grotesque list of attributes that we are not... This is not something in the future, but this is what's happening all around us today. They love God. This is the answer, to love God and love your neighbour. That's what the Bible says. But we're so consumed... With loving ourselves, it's difficult to fit that into my schedule. Covetous means misdirected love for the wrong things. And we're covetous of everything. Never have a people in all the earth had so much and yet we don't have enough. It's crazy, isn't it? And we go and work extra hours of overtime so I can get that upgraded car when the one that we've got in the driveway, there's nothing wrong with it. It'll last another 10 years. Boasters. I'm, going to, I'm using the King James Version terminology here for ease of use for myself. Boasters. And, it, uh, and I'm referring always to the, to the Greek which was explained to me. And uh, stretching the truth to fit your own needs. A personalised truth. And it's an absolute existence of no absolute truth. Everybody raving around these days and they'll say, that is my truth. That's my truth. That's how I see things. But the Bible here is, a, is the plumb bob. It's the datum point to which everything is measured. And you don't hang your own plumb bob. And you don't have your own datum point. But everybody in the earth these days is running with their, around with their own truth. What about the, the word proud there? Where does the word proud... When ever was that a virtue... But people these days, oh, he's a proud man, he's a self-made man, and all this sort of stuff. But it violates the word of God. Proud, intellectually snooty, no moral absolutes. Considering those that do have moral absolutes as inferior or belonging to the past. You're old school. We've moved on from that. We've, they call it progressive Whenever you hear that word, know that it means regressive, okay? It never means progressive. It means they're going down the great porcelain facility, amen? It's not just dwindling, it's not just spiralling, it's in freefall down that porcelain facility. What about this word here, blasphemers? And we think straight away, using the Lord's name in vain, but that's not what it means. It means it's referring to a disintegration of the language itself. 
You, overlearn, you don't have to step onto a job site these days to hear the most rough, crude and depraved language. In the workplace, it's common. It's not uncommon. In fact, it's uncommon to find somebody who used a bit of refined language, who doesn't curse, who doesn't cuss. And it's talking to here about a blasphemy of the language itself. You cannot speak one sentence without putting all these other things in there as if we needed it. Rough, crude speech is the order of the day. It's disgusting, isn't it? But we're totally... And I encourage you, if you're indulging in that sort of stuff, if you're born again of the spirit of the living God, you put away all that sort of stuff. That's behind you. That's a past life. What about... We speak of cancel culture these days. And so the next eight things, it's really, really interesting the way that they're worded in the original Greek. I can tell you right now that I'm no Greek scholar, but I, I was listening to a message of about 13 years ago by Rick Renner, who is a Greek scholar. And I listened to it and I listened to it and I listened to it. And the reason I'll come to at the end. And so it talks about here cancelling the obedience to parents and they come up with the word here, disobedient. A people who once were obedient to parents and never thought otherwise. They were obedient to the police. Whether they were right or wrong, it didn't matter. They were obedient to the police. They were obedient to those, but here is this word dis. In other words, it's a cancel culture. No longer are people obedient. They are unthankful. That which were, we used to be a grateful people here in Australia. Grateful. Were we given much? Were there many handouts? No, there was hardly a thing when I was, when I was young. There was almost nothing. And I don't, I don't think our government handouts, uh, they have been a blessing to our people. But we now demand them as rights. And they're no longer something that we are thankful for, but we are entitled to. And so thus we have become unthankful, unthankful. What about the next one? It says unholy. We used to be a holy people, a separated people. But there is a cancellation of the holy and now that is considered profane itself. Isn't that amazing? That which is holy, that which was good. Everything is on its head. Everything. Calling darkness, that which is light, darkness, and that which is sweet, bitter. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's all on its head. What about without natural affection? Without natural affection for family and the disintegration of the family and the acceptance of it. Truce breakers. That's an old school term there. A covenant breaker. Lawyers going in through documents in contracts looking for loopholes where they can legally not honour the contract because a full stop is in the wrong place. And it's legally okay, but morally wrong. It's business, they say, and they will tell you it is not personal. It's just business. It's just my lawyer worked this out. I'm okay. Are you okay with that? But that's a way of life for many, many businesses. They employed many, many lawyers to get out of paying contractors. False accusers. The word there they use is diabolo, diaboli. I can't even say it correctly, but it's devils plural. 
And it's almost like Paul is coming to the end of his rope and he's exasperated and all he just says is devils. He's just read through this. He's just written this whole list of things and it's abhorrent to us right now. But we are surrounded by this mindset right now. Some of these concepts and thought patterns have come into the church. But today we're going to give them an eviction notice. Amen. Let's give them an eviction notice. Because what you see people doing out there is not okay in here. It's not okay in here. And so false accusers. What about this one here in the New King James? It's called incontinent. Well, that's a good one, isn't it? It says, be filled with the spirit. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. That word dissipation there sounds a lot a little bit like incontinent to me, doesn't it? <laughs> but what here it's speaking of is something that's out of control. When somebody's got an incontinence issue, it's out of control. They've lost all the discipline and they have no ability to say no. People without conviction won't stand for anything and fall for everything. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing an absolute void of conviction in our Christian walk. People cannot come up. They can, the devil can sway us. He has this ability. But if we were a people of conviction, we would know where we stand. We know where we stand. I think the people we have to be most hardest on in our, is ourselves. Be hard on yourself. Be hard on yourself. And so that word incontinence is there. What about this other word here? Fierce, says the King James Version. And widespread culture is dispensed with, filled with, filled with this thing called a fierceness. There's something quite savage, barbaric and violent in our today's culture that was not tolerated a decade, two decades, three or four decades ago. The Greek word fierce is that same used in the entertainment in the Colosseum. But here it's saying this is the mindset of this end of end of days people. There is a fierceness about it. And even our own entertainment. Uh, I don't play video games, but a lot of the video games, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the violence on our movies these days, horror movies and so forth, there's, a, there's an absolute violence and bloodthirstiness about it all. And we seem to be, it sort of grows on us. I recall for 10 years I never watched uh, hardly any television when I first became a Christian. And it was the biggest blessing to me. Then I started watching a few things again and everything. I would never watch an M-rated movie. But after a number of years, after a number of decades, things cool and things sneak up on you. And I don't seem to have any problem nowadays watching sometimes M-rated movies. Is there anybody else who'd like to come clean this morning? These things have crept us up on us all. They've crept, us, crept up on us. And we think, oh, that's okay. I'm just here today to remind us we are in the, I believe we are at this end time, end time period. We're just not in this big block of 2,000 years. No, we are on the final seconds, I believe. If the clock was indicating our time that has been allotted to us in this 2,000 year period, I believe we're only a couple of seconds to midnight. Because this here list is showing me very, very clearly the mindset not all the physical attributes, not the wars, the rumours of war, the earthquakes, pestilence and disease, not disregarding all those things. 
But the mindset, this is what floored me. I went to work for a government department about 10 or 12 years ago, and it floored me, the mindset of the people I was surrounded with at that time that I had never been exposed to. Never. And I thought, wow. And it stunned me. But we have moved so much further down the track in these last 10 years. What about despisers of those that are good? Despisers, and this is where we are now. There's a loss of love and a, a loss of love for all that is decent. If somebody says, oh, he was a, oh, he's a good man, and they go, oh, gosh, boring, squirm. That's the attitude we have, isn't it? That's the attitude. When we describe things that go on, we go, oh, wicked. We do it all so naturally. Despising all that is moral or good. It describes also a land where there were no laws for good people. No laws for good people. But laws that are primarily there to protect those who are wrong. And this is now a reality in our time now. Totally surrounded by laws that protect wickedness. And they will leave you a victim out in the cold. Don't have to tell, talk about anything that's going on in youth crime and things like that. It's everywhere. It's every, everywhere and in everything. Protecting wickedness is what our system of law is all about right now. Traitors. Any reason to break a relationship is taken very, very lightly. That word there, traitors, is in the King James Version. Traitors. And uh, you could be good friends with somebody for 25 years. You wake up tired one day, a little bit irritable, say one wrong word and that person has wiped you for good. That's because it's the spirit of the age to just give up on things. Throw out a relationship that you've had for 25 years on a mere one irritable comment. Do we do that these days? It's, it's out there. It's out there. But we're not to be like that. We're to walk in grace. We're to walk in mercy. These are the attributes that God is looking for us in, in us. What about this one, heady? And that word heady there is reckless, fast decisions, not considering consequences. I just go and do it anyway. I don't care. Basically, what they're saying is, I do not care what they think. I am doing it. And I'm doing it now. We don't take any consideration for others anymore. We've lost this ability to consider uh, other people's feelings, other people's positions. And our own position is the only one that dominates our actions. The other word there in the King James Version is high-minded, which means just puffed up. Virtue signaling and all that sort of stuff. Puffed up. And we can see puffed up people all around us these days. Turn on the TV and there's some talking head up there, all puffed up. Lovers of pleasure, this is one that really has really intoxicated the church big time. And I believe it came in in the early 90s. I suppose when more money came into the economy, more money, more disposable income came into the back pockets of everybody, including the church. And we were all beneficiaries of that extra money. But we suddenly came from then a, a sacrificial lifestyle, a lifestyle of of working for things, for saving for things, into now planning for holidays, planning for this, planning for that, planning for this, all these things, living for fun. It's called hedonism. 
living for fun, for pleasure, total, a total preoccupation with self-fulfillment and excitement. And it eliminates, I spoke of this the other day, eliminating the idea of sacrifice for anything moral or good. And the word sacrifice has almost been eliminated from the lifestyles of everybody, including the church. This whole concept that Jesus sacrificed his life, we'll say, we'll just leave it at, leave it at that. But for us to live a sacrificial lifestyle, for us to live with others, for us to do without while providing for somebody else is absolutely non-comprendo to us. It's a severe message, isn't it? It is a severe message. But it is a wake-up call for the church because these, these are things that predominate the world, dominate the world, but we are called out of the world. We are in the world but not of the world. And so these things, we shun these things. We push them away. We say, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be the opposite. You have to be determined to be opposite. Otherwise, we get seduced into this way of thinking and this way of living. And the Lord is not happy with us if we do. He's not happy with these lifestyles. And it says, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. But this also includes believers. Many people profess Christ. Many people do, but these values have invaded the church and the lives of believers and people say all the time they love God. They say it all the time. I love God, but our actions say otherwise. What predominates your time? What, what, how do you structure your week? The markets are on. The church is half empty. What happens? I don't get it. I don't get it. Things are on in Townsville. Why go on a Sunday? I don't get it. And so these things, uh, we say we love God, but our actions reveal where our affections really lie. Having a form of godliness. And this is one big in our time because we're talking about here about social justice warriors. And the TV is full of social justice warriors. People standing up for this and standing up for that. And there is an appearance of piety. There is an appearance of righteousness about it. But it's a guise, there is a peer, but it is, it is their own piety and it is their own righteousness and it is their own form of religion. Jesus is our righteousness. The robe of righteousness that we wear is his that he placed upon us like the father and the prodigal son. The son came back to the father and the father placed his robe over his lost son. That's us. It's his robe that we wear. Not our own religion. DEI is, talks about diversity, equity and inclusion. You see virtual signalling, piety, righteousness. And we go into bat for all these people. Virtue signalling, but emphatically denying the power of the Holy Spirit. Emphatically denying the power of God in all those things. Because I am righteous. I am pious. Look at these things that I'm doing. Look at this banner that I'm holding up. Standing as an advocate for this person and this person. None of us are advocates. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate. You see that? It's a massive difference. It just slides. All this stuff is just greased with oil and just slides into the church so easy. But I'm saying this is enough. And we've got to put off these things. And get real with God. In the last two weeks, three university presidents, and this is how I come upon this thing today. I, it, it plagued my thoughts because 
Three university presidents in the United States were brought before a congressional hearing to give reason why anti-Semitism was flourishing at the most elite universities, not just in the United States, but in the world. Has anybody caught up with some of those things? A couple of people have. A couple of people have. I encourage you, if you want to see a visual of what 2 Timothy chapter 3 looks like, I encourage you to have a look at these here. In the congressional hearing, there was a lady on the uh, asking some questions. Her name was Elise Stefanik, and she asked all the three presidents the most basic question, and, they are, and she was after a yes or no answer. These uh, presidents of these universities, and they were... Uh, just trying to think here now, there was Harvard University, I'll get the list there in a minute. Uh, Harvard, Pennsylvania, and the MIT University. You can have a look at that for yourself. I encourage you to do it. If you want to see what a 2 Timothy chapter 3 looks like, manifest itself, these were very, very articulate, well-dressed, intellect presidents of the most prestigious universities in the United States. They were asked this question. Does the calling for genocide of Jews on college campuses violate Harvard's code of conduct? Yes or no? The answer is, it, it can be. It depends on the context. These were the sort of answers that were gone round and round and round for four hours. I watched some of it, probably about an hour of it. I watched all the highlights. I encourage you to do the same because it is an example of 2 Timothy chapter 3 mindset. Paul writes about it in, in Romans chapter 1, around about verse 28. It says, Because I didn't see it worthwhile to retain a knowledge of God, God, God gave them over to a depraved mind, and their consciences seared as with a hot iron. In other words, you no longer have a capacity to reason. You have no longer a clear capacity. You no longer have... Or oh, moral clarity is the word they're throwing about right now. And they could not, over and over for four hours, give an answer to this most basic question. Does calling for the genocide of Jews on your college campuses, does that look anything, does that violate your code of conduct? And they, uh, in a letter of apology of sorts, uh, the president of Harvard talked about her own truth. And I thought, yes, that confirms the second Timothy chapter 3. You see, everybody has their own truth. They see it through their own lens, their own experiences, their own this and their own that. But I encourage you to see everything through the lens of the word of God. That will give you moral clarity. I want to say that you can have moral clarity on every single issue that you have been exposed to in life. Every single issue. You don't have to wonder. The Bible gives it clear. If you, uh, Job said it this way, he says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. If you place a great value on the word of God more than the necessary food, the Lord will give you a moral clarity. He will give you clear thinking as the prodigal son came to his senses. So you and I can come to our senses when we see life through the word of God. It's a feel-good message, isn't it? <laughs> it's a tough message, isn't it? But I could not get it out of my head. I couldn't get it out of my heart. It was grieving me. And uh, 
Sometimes Jules says, come away from that TV. It's, it's not good. And she's dead right. But there are some things I just got to see to believe it. And when I watch those things, I encourage you to have a look at it. To see people with tremendous intellect, dressed in the most classiest of gear, the most prestigious job in the whole world that some of these, they would be earning massive, massive dollars. But it's the prestige that goes with it, which means more, I would say. But yet, they were, they were barren in moral and spiritual decline had done its work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, mindsets have now totally filled our universities, all of our major institutions in the West, here in Australia. Our political system at the highest level, right through to our highest level leaders, are now absolutely tainted with 2 Timothy chapter 3, mindsets. We think this is, no, this is just the youngest generation. No, it's not. These people are now in power. Fully, fully in power. And we, it is going now at an escalating and an alarming rate. It's just about uh, the pedal to the metal, so to speak. And there will be no holes barred. So how do we minister in this end time congregation church? What's the, what's the takeaway for us here today? What's the encouraging word? Sometimes it's good to see the bad story, the bad news first. But here is the good news. Don't allow these values into your life. Don't allow these values into your home, into your marriage, into your children. Don't do it. Don't do it. The answer to be lovers of ourselves is to love God and love your neighbour as yourself. There's the answer. That's the gospel answer. Love God and love your neighbour as yourself. To esteem somebody else higher than yourself. That's what Proverbs says. Esteem one another higher than ourselves. When was the last time that you gave the person next to you the biggest piece of cake? That has got to be a lifestyle. When was the, when was the last time when there was only one Turkish delight left? That you offered it to the person next to you. When was it? You see, it's all the small things. It's not the massive things, but it's accumulation of all the small things that will see victory in this area. When we go out, we're going to have a fantastic time. Offer somebody there the biggest piece of cake. You had your eye on it, but place somebody else. It's only the little things. You see, God is working on the little things. What about the answer to covetous? Love of the wrong things. The Bible says to love God and not to hold too closely of the things of the world because they are perishing. Boasters, stretching the truth to fit your own needs. A personalised truth. I want to tell you that the Bible is absolute truth. And look on it that way. Don't look on it as optional. Read the word of God. Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Walk in obedience to the little things. People say, oh, I want to understand these great deep things of God. And, and God just says, well, love your neighbour. That's a good start. When you've done that, I'll begin to share some other things. What about boasters? Stretching the truth. What about proud, which is intellectually snooty? No moral absolutes. The Bible says humility is the answer to that. The Bible speaks as an attribute of humility. Put on humility. And uh, that's something that we don't see naturally in this day and age. A humble person is a rare person indeed. 
James put it this way, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's our answer. We've got to fly in the face of the culture that we're surrounded with. Go absolutely against everything that you see. Blasphemers. Ephesians, Paul writes in 5.4, Let neither filthiness nor false foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. If you've got a, still a bit of a foul mouth, put it away. And we've got all these other words we slot in that which sound like the swear word. That's what we're all using these days, aren't we? Who's <laughs> noticed that? We take out the swear word but put in another one which rhymes to it. <laughs> Who's done that? Two, three people, four people. Cancel culture. That's how I came to those things. What about this one? Being disobedient to your parents. That is normal. So what's the child of God here in the house? What's the answer for, for Jay? What's the answer for him today? Children, obey your parents. It says, honour your father and your mother. What a good, what a good thing. Amen. Children, this is what our children should do. This is how we should train our children. Don't do what their mates are doing. We have to fly against the culture. Unthankful. But the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, it says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Ungrateful and unholy is a sign of the times, but not to be found in us, not in us. We reject that. Whatever comes our way, we are grateful and we are thankful. It's a lifestyle of being grateful and thankful. What about this one? Unholy. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy for I am holy, says God, referring to an Old Testament scripture. Be holy for I am holy. It's possible. The Holy Ghost makes it possible. Of ourselves, we know we can't do it. But with the Holy Ghost, all things are possible to him who believes. Without natural affection. So it means here that we will be affectionate to our children and our extended families. Walk in grace. Truce breakers. Widespread divorce and all this sort of stuff. Breaking covenants. No, we honour marriage here in this place. And we declare that we are covenant keepers. As James said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to have it written in a contract. You have said yes. So you'll be there at nine o'clock. You won't get there at 9.30. You'll be there at 9 o'clock. You'll be there a little bit earlier. That makes us a covenant keeper. Small things. Big outcomes. False accusers. Incontinent. Out of control. Lost all discipline. So we are to be self-controlled, as is mentioned in Galatians 5.22.23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. How can I have self-control? Be filled with the Spirit is the command in Ephesians 5.18. What about fierce? The other fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. In a fierce age, how do we respond? How do we respond? How do we respond? How do we respond? We've got to respond in love. We've got to walk in love. We've got to walk in grace and forgiveness and all those sorts of things. That's our response. That's the church response. We throw off, we abhor, we find disgusting the attitudes demonstrated in here, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But the world, the world will be won 
by the love of God flowing through us. The world would be defeated without a sword. Every civilization will come to nothing because it will be the love of Christ that wins these people. Amen? And so, as Jules just comes to the keys, I'm just about done. We're to be in the world but not of it. And so that was a tough message, wasn't it? Tough message. But I pray that you've got some substance from it. And I pray that these, a lot of these things have crept into our lives. And I've got to reassess how I do life as a Christian. I'm going to reassess my own life. And I encourage you to do the same. A lot of these things have snuck up on us. We've been caught up with the extra finance in our pocket. We've been caught up with lifestyles that are pleasure-seeking. And we've all benefited by the extra money in our pocket in the last 30 years. Who knows life before that? The abundance of food and everything even, you know. Mum could get three meals of chi- out, of a, out of a chicken for a, for a family of seven. Hey? Who lived in those days? I see that hand. I see those hands. We don't understand. Kids come home from school and eat half a chicken before dinner. We've all seen that as well, haven't we? The abundance of food, but it has changed us. And sometimes not for the better. Just be upstanding if you wouldn't mind. Just be upstanding. Just be upstanding. Just be upstanding. We're just going to honour God in this place. And um, if you're comfortable to do so, that's all. That's all. Things have snuck up on us. I encourage you to have a look at what we're watching on TV. And just say, no, I'm, I'm setting the bar. The Bible is the bar. Okay? Stuff, the amount of violence that we're surrounded by. The amount of depravity that was, the stuff that comes on the screen while I'm at the gym, I'm thinking, I've I've said something about the music, but the stuff that's on the TV is, it used to be considered pornographic, but it's just on the TV for everybody, for the public to see. We are surrounded by, where you can't get away from it. And that is the day, the days are fierce. And the Bible describes them in our language as, perilous they are perilous times and it's not like we've approached a sign saying perilous times are approaching no we are in perilous times right now we are i would say we are in the end of end of days it's just not the end of days it is the end of end of days it is a couple of seconds to midnight and the lord is returning oh father in the name of jesus If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I encourage you to do it today. Father, we are sorry, Lord God. I'm going to lead you into a prayer of repentance. And for some people it will mean something. For others, you've got it all together. That's fine. And you're living the life. But I'm just going to lead you into a prayer of repentance. And I pray that you would repeat it after me. Because I know I need to pray it too. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've let my guard down. I've let my guard down. I'm doing things now that I never did 30 years ago. I'm doing things now that I never did 30 years ago. I seem to be okay with the violence. I seem to be okay with the violence. And the depravity which has come all around us. And the depravity which has come all around us. But right now, I shun that thing. But right now, I shun that thing. I put it behind me. I walk away. I walk away. 
Your command to be holy. Your command is to be holy. As you are holy. As you are holy. Is my life. Is my life. Holy Spirit, help me live this life victoriously. Holy Spirit, help me to live this life victoriously. I love you. I love you. And I honor you. And I honor you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never made a public confession, I encourage you to just step forward right now as Jules just leads us into that last song of worship. And we're going to have a great time this afternoon enjoying one another's company and enjoying a meal. I'm so glad that you've all come today. For those listening in online, I pray that you've got something out of it. And uh, I'll just close now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.